Welcome to Racket Fuel, where we'll be launching into great conversations and sharing powerful tools to help you become a stronger rackets leader. Your hosts are Kim Bastable, a former All-American tennis player and now the Director of Tennis Management at the University of Florida, and Simon Gale, the USTA National Campus Director of Racket Sports. In this episode, we'll focus on a topic most rackets pros only dream about because of the demands on their time how to transition from a six-day to a five-day week. Now, let's hit the launch button. Here's Kim and Simon. Welcome to Racket Fuel. I'm Kim Bastable, and I'm the Director of Professional Tennis Management at the University of Florida, and I run the Director of Racket Sports Certificate Program, and I'm with Simon Gale, who's Director of Racket Sports at the USTA National Campus in Orlando with its 98 courts, including tennis, pickleball, and padel. And we're here to discuss powerful topics that are relevant and important to leadership and business in the rackets industry. We're going to attempt to keep each podcast around 30 minutes in time so you can take what you learn and put the tips into play quickly and efficiently. Simon, it's good to have you here. And before we begin, why don't you share why you agreed to dedicate time to this podcast and your busy schedule? What do you hope it accomplishes in our industry? Well, Kim, firstly, thank you for asking me to, to co-host on the, on the Racket Fuel podcast. Um, it was an exciting opportunity. I'll be honest, I've, I've never done one before, so it was exciting to, to be asked in the first place. But I think our industry is at a, a point in time where we need to take a serious look at how we attract, retain, and develop coaches. And I think as the podcast evolves, we'll explain some of those industry issues. But uh, it's an exciting opportunity for me to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Yes, you and I have had many conversations. We never have a shortage of uh, energy for our conversations and the topics we cover. And I think that's what makes this fun. That's why I thought it would be good for us to go back and forth on the, on the industry issues that are just pertinent to people who are trying to become leaders in the rackets industry. So let's talk a little bit about your history first. How did you uh, get to the position of being the director of uh, racket sports at the campus? It's a long story, I'll be honest, but uh, I've been in the industry now over 30 years, and that just means I'm getting older, I guess, right, Kim? Yeah. So um, I, I look back now and, and, and when people ask, how did you get to this, this point in your career? I think ever since I first started when I was around 17 working at a, a, a camp out in, in, in country Western Australia, that I, I was always interested in the business of tennis. So I've always been that, that teaching pro with a briefcase type uh, tennis guy. And I was always motivated to, to be in a leadership role and run my own business. And so for the best part of probably 25 of those 30 years, I've been in leadership roles. So I've worked at a variety of tennis facilities, including summer tennis camps. I started up in Vermont at Windridge Tennis Camp, spent seven years trying to find a sponsor to be able to end up in the States. And I'd almost given up and at the last minute something came through and thank goodness it did. Tennis in Australia is a little harder to make a a living, I thought, and I think it was a more professional industry here with a lot of opportunity. So I started at Windridge Tennis Camps and I've worked at tennis resorts, commercial indoor, member indoor, country clubs, member indoor and outdoor facilities, and now uh, have the privilege of 
been director at the largest complex in the world. So I still pinch myself when I walk into work at times and wonder how I got here, but it's, uh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I would say through that time, I've been able to probably cover all roles in tennis in terms of the 40-hour-a-week teaching pro, a director, a general manager, and, and m- more recently, I was managing partner of a club up in New York before I took the job down here at the national campus. So I hope it gives me a well-rounded experience that, that I can talk on all aspects of, of that journey and pathway and, and, and help new pros coming into the industry understand what a pathway or how you can evolve as a, as a person in the industry. So yeah, I've been very lucky, had a, a, a nice career, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be part of the national campus team. Yeah, I think that's why we hit it off. I've been in the business as well, you know, the 40 years. And I remember writing a paper in sixth grade saying that I was going to be a, a, a tennis professional. And I meant a teaching tennis professional in sixth grade. And, uh, sixth grade, you know, huh? you just, yeah, you just decide you want to be in some business. And here you are years later, still doing it after as well. I kind of had the same path of country club, racket club, high school coach, college coach, public park time, and then got my master's in psychology and leadership so I could get into the education field. And, and this is fun to be able to bring the, the passions of racket sports with education. And that's really what, yeah, I think inspired this podcast. And I knew you and I could do a lot to try to inspire both people within the industry and then people who are considering the industry to really understand the business of leadership. Kim, to your original question about why do the podcast and, and, and kind of maybe what the purpose is, a big part of it is to to be able to have more people like yourself who at an early age or at some point in their tennis journey say, I want a career in tennis and what does that look like and what does that pathway look like and how can we help facilitate more people moving into the industry and and maybe even look at how the industry needs to evolve to make us more attractive. And I think that's a, a big driving force of today's episode, but why we, why we wanted to do this podcast. Yes, definitely. That's exactly, you know, the goal is to grow interest in, like I said, existing pros toward leadership. And then, yeah, those young people to say, I want to be in tennis, not just because I want a better forehand, but because I believe in this as a, a real a force for good and health and all the positives that the tennis provides. So let's talk a little bit about the key issues and challenges that we've had what have you seen currently facing you, or maybe in the last you know, 10 years facing you as a leader toward the hiring and attracting and retaining of coaches? What have you seen? I mean, I've been in this country over 20 years, and I think I've been doing or going to conferences for probably 15 of those. And I remember early on, it might have been Doug Cash getting up there and saying the average length of tenure of a tennis pro at a, at a facility is 18 months to two years. And that just sounded incredibly low. And then as I evolved in, in my roles and started to need to hire more, the importance of retaining people became a priority to me. When I was teaching full-time, that wasn't something I was worried about. But as you hire people and you spend more and more time hiring, why are these people leaving so early? And, and my brother's is director at Royal Oaks, uh, sorry, River Oaks Country Club, Jared Chirico's at Royal Oaks. And we, we've talked for 15, 20 years about the great pros and people that we lose from our industry. We seem to attract them fairly easily, but by age 25 to 30, they're, they're talking about getting out. And when you talk about that and then you listen to them, there, there's some general themes that start to show up. 
And so that became curious to me, or I became curious about, you know, well, what are those? Are they consistent? And, and what can we do as employers to, to improve their situation and keep them in the industry? Because we can't afford to lose these good young pros. So I started looking at these industry challenges and issues, which I don't think anything we talk about today will be revolutionary in terms of the industry issues. I think they're all, most of us are aware of them, but what are we doing to address them versus we talk about them and then go back to doing what we always do. So we, or I started looking at one of my previous clubs at how do we address some of these things and, and make change. And one of the, the, the number one issue at the moment in my mind, and from polling over 200 pros now through some different presentation polls and so on, the six-day work week, six-plus days, some people are working seven, is a major, a major contributor to, to, to burnout and dropout. None of us are immune to it. We've all been, been there and done it. But for some reason, some of us keep going, but many drop out. Um, Six-day work week, no progression within a, any sort of pathway for professional growth and personal growth. Um, compensation, plateauing quickly. And, and benefits that are not common in our industry. And then close behind those three would be split shifts, the AMPM, the working when everybody else isn't uh, aspect of the job. I really looked at those a lot. And then a little behind that, but still important to a lot of people has been the lack of diversity in our industry, particularly um, female and uh, pros of color. And we need them as role models to inspire uh, the younger generation to look look up and say, hey, there's a pathway for me no matter what my background is. So again, I don't think I'm saying anything many of us don't talk about regularly at a conference or around the, the lunch table with our, our colleagues. But again, I, I challenge us to do something about it versus just talk about it. Yeah. I mean, the survey that I just recently did uh, was that I found after surveying just 200 pros you know, across the United States that 78% we're, we're working six days a week and 12% were working seven days a week, which it's just not a sustainable model, particularly in an era when you have people that are choosing to actually work less, make less money by working less hours. That would be their preference. That's the generation that, that we are now having before us. So we, we definitely have to adapt and change. So what have you done? What have you done at the campus? What have you done to address this challenge? We need to keep these pros for a longer period of time and keep them happy. You know, I, I think when I first arrived at the campus, at the end of the day, the, the campus was a young business. It still is. It's only six years old. So it's very young as a business. And you're still working out what works, what doesn't. How do we manage this business the best way we can? to be what the campus should be, this center of excellence and a and kind of model of delivery. And so for me, there's a platform here to, to have a bit more of a voice in the industry because of where I work. And I really value that. And so when I transitioned into the role, Kathy Woods was here before and she did a phenomenal job getting the doors open, putting programming in place, hiring pros, building a team. And so I inherited something that was very well set up but we weren't immune to any of those issues that we just talked about. And as I spent a little time with the team and really engaged with them, it became clear that those three top issues of work week, compensation, and lack of a career path, that they became clear that they were issues with the team. And so I spent a lot of time, I mean, I started two weeks before COVID 
began. So I had three months of time to get to know my team online, and I used that to survey and ask questions and get to know them and, and understand what these issues were. So when I look back, it was actually valuable time for me because it's rare we get any time to stop and, and reflect. So those three core issues became crystal clear that we had to adjust and, and, and make some change, meaningful change. So we started with compensation and pathway. And I linked those two together and said, our pros tend to get stuck as, say, a staff pro. And then the next step is a leadership role. So we created some additional tiers for pros to graduate to and clearly defined what the expectations were from a certification point of view, as well as what do we need you to do from a campus delivery point of view in order to be successful in that space and prepare you to move up the ladder. And with that, what compensation comes with it? Generally, in our industry, compensation is a big secret. So I wanted to be more open with them and say, well, at these different tiers, these are the sort of levels of income you could be expecting so that you can see an actual pathway and a career versus it's a cool job I do because I was a good tennis player until I get a real job. And that always drove me crazy because I found that offensive because I've spent 30 years doing this and you just think it's something cool to do for a couple of years. So we looked at those things. And so the pathway was built and it was a big progress or process of change to go through what we went through as a company and present it to the senior leaders who needed to sign off on it. And I learned a lot about, A, how the USTA works and what, what it takes to, to make meaningful change. But in the grand scheme of things, how was this important for us as, as leaders in the industry and, and as I said, a, a center of, of, of excellence or, or a role model? So we, we created the pathway, gave pros an opportunity to see where they could end up next, and then took the time to say, here's where you fit in our pathway, here's why, and let's come up with a plan for you, just like you would for a high-performance player. We always put all this time into our players and say, here's your periodization plan for the year, and here's where we want to be at the end of 12 months. But we send our pros out to teach 40 hours, and then maybe at the end of the year we say, Kim, come on in. You've done an amazing job. Here's a $2 an hour pay rise. Now go and bang out 40 hours again for me, would you? And I thought, what if we set it up like we do a player's plan? We need a pro's plan. What am I going to do for you this year to mentor you, develop you, and educate you to a point where you have a realistic chance to move within our system? And so that was the first stage that we, we really focused on. And I think that's been well received. I, I think our retention rate will continue to increase. It's early on. We're only a year or two into it. But combining that with improved compensation, we had, a, I'll be honest, we, we, and I've said this at many conferences now, we had a reputation for below market compensation. And we had to address that and be an attractive place to work. And I think we've set it up now where as a package, this is a great place to work. And I don't think that was our reputation a few years ago. So it's still evolving, but we're trying to put ourselves on the map as a legitimate career benefit and place to work is to, to attach the campus to your resume and be part of what we do here. So those were two critical issues that went together. And then the one I'm proudest of, which I, I think has the biggest impact, is moving and transitioning into a five-day work week. So we just started that in August. The feedback's been nothing but positive. You know, I think 
when you put 35 pros in a room and say, put your hand up, who wants to work five or six days a week? Nobody put their hand up for six days. So that was a pretty strong indicator that, that we were doing something good. Their biggest concern was, will I be able to keep my hours? You know, will I be able to make, make my, my living? And I assured them that, look, this has been done before. I've done it at another club prior to this. And I think because we're busy and you guys are good at what you do, you'll find that pretty quickly your hours will be where you need to be. And so we've, we've been working through that. Some have two days in a row. Some have split days kind of based on seniority, tenure, and their preference for family and, and which days of the week they, they want to work and, and have off. But it's really given them, I think, the, the time to recoup and recover and come back refreshed, ready to work and put in a five-day week that's long versus six long days. So those are the three core issues that we really addressed over the last two years. Which is just sort of amazing. I'm sure that people who are maybe not in the world of tennis might hear you say that and want to say, well, duh. I mean, don't we need to have people that are <laughs> only have five days a week? But it's been so long in our industry that it's just sort of been assumed that we were a six-day-a-week profession. And it's, it's fascinating that, you know, it's taken someone like you to be very intentional which is awesome because you're teaching people that it can be done. So what? give us an example of some of the feedback you have had from that five-day, you know, the reduction of a six-day work week. Yeah, we've got about 20 full-time staff. And we all know that anyone in the industry works a long day as it is. It's not nine to five, five days a week. It's seven in the morning. It's that split shift concept, right? You know, they work till 11 or 12 in the morning. And then they come back at four and work till seven, eight, nine o'clock. The ability to say, well, I'm prepared to do that for five days, knowing I have two days off. I can do more than laundry, go out for breakfast, binge watch something on Netflix, and then have to go back to work the next day. Now I can maybe develop a hobby. I had, I had one pro who's uh, a little older and been in the industry a long time, and he's actually a little lost on his extra day off because he doesn't know what to do. And I said, how about you pick up a hobby? And he says, well, I don't know what to do. So he's working through what he's supposed to do on his extra day off. But I think that's a great problem. Maybe he can develop another interest versus tennis is kind of all I do. So we've had some feedback along those lines. I think just the ability to connect with family or take an extra trip and not worry about having a rush back for work. I, I think it's just given that, that elusive work-life balance. But it's still a challenge because the days they work are long days. No different to what they were doing, but they're still long days. And, and we've evolved a little bit where you know, the pros who have large followings are able to start to say, well, maybe I can finish at seven o'clock on two nights a week instead of teaching till eight or nine. And so the stronger the pro with a better following, the more flexibility we have even within those five days. You're just trying to say, hey, we're not forcing you to do something. In terms of you have to work six days, all day, every day, here's, here's an option and we give them a little more autonomy to manage their schedule. And if they're happier and more balanced and, and, and come to work ready to go, can we keep them here longer? And I want to be at this place longer. And that's what I think will happen because I have seen it before at Yonkers Tennis when I was there, all the pros worked five days and our retention rate was five years plus on most of our pros. So. I know it works, but it was a huge undertaking 
here at the campus just because of the size of the staff to, to put that jigsaw puzzle together, but nothing but positive feedback so far. Well, you know, I've done some studies. Uh, the director of racket sports, we have 77 people in the certificate program, and I do some um, assessments on them. And I've found that, not shockingly, many of them are quite driven, mostly because they came out of the playing sector, probably for the most part. They've all been, you know, at some point, a competitive player. And so what do you do about the pro who says, you know, they just are driven, they want to make another $40. And if someone says, I'm supposed to be off on Saturday, but if someone says they want a lesson on Saturday, how do you keep them from teaching on Saturday if they're not supposed to be? Is that a policy you have? They're not welcome at the facility on Saturday to teach? Or, you know, have you had anybody sort of backing down and allowing people to, you know, booking lessons on their quote day off? Yes and no. So yes, there's pros who who maybe are adapting to having these ex- extra days off and they're used to working. So I, I want to work, but you know, I'll give you examples of, you know, hey, I'm a couple of hours short of what I used to be. Can I come in on my sixth or seventh day and pick those up? And I sit there and say, well, two or three hours is half an hour or an hour each day on the five days you're currently listed to work. Surely between us as a team, we can find you one to two hours to get your numbers up where you need to be, or an hour a day if you're looking for five extra hours. There's work there. Maybe we've just got to sell you a little better. You need to sell yourself a little better. You need to work some of your groups to say, you know, maybe some of you could do with a private or start a new group, or you know, maybe you can be creative with how to find hours versus I need to just, the default is I'll work an extra day. Well, how do I get those hours in, in the five days? So we work with them on how do we build you those extra hours so that once they're there, they don't think about using that extra day? Look, if a pro's in financial hardship and is saying, I, I just bought a new Tesla and it's going to cost me $1,000 a month and it's doubled my car budget, maybe I need to work a little more. That might be a separate conversation we need to have about how you're spending your money. But we're at this point saying, we need you to stick with your five days because if we go to six for one, then it opens up the door for everybody. So. I don't know if I like the word policy, but it's definitely something we're trying to um, stand strong on. And so far, those who have been a little short have been able to pick up those hours quickly. And um, we work together as a team to make sure their hours are where they need to be. I think it's an education of, you know, really understanding the long, the long haul. You're in this for the long haul. And that one lesson on a Saturday really is, you know, it's an inconvenience, even though it may seem like that one lesson or one extra lesson. And it really is helping, I think, as you as a leader to show that you've been in, we've been in the industry long enough to say, we've seen the hazards of these six-day work weeks, we've seen the burnout, and it's, it's not helping us to grow the industry, it's not helping us grow the leaders, it's not certainly not inspiring the next gen to want to become uh, a part of our industry. So it really, I think, is something to to change from the the pro perspective, but what have you heard from the customer perspective? Are the customers put out because they're unable to get their lesson on, say, Thursday night at seven that they've always had? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And, and I'll just add one more thing to, to your, your last comment is a lot of pros will say, well, I only work a half day on Saturday. And I'm like, yeah, but did you shower, suit up and drive to work today? And they're like, yes. Okay, well, that's, that's a work day. So you worked six days. It doesn't matter if it's a half day or a third day. You came to work. So mentally, you work today. I think if you, like you said, if you want a career that goes beyond 
30 years of age, for example, this is important. While you may make some extra money right now, you're going to change careers and, and I want you to stay in the industry because I value your contribution. I think it's how you approach it. As you said, it's, it's, there's a bit of education. If they're only in it for a few years, then maybe they're going to work like that just to, to make some quick money. But if there's any career aspirations or longevity goals, we've got to manage you. It's a marathon, not a sprint, so to speak. So I, I think that's something that resonates. But in relation to customers, you know, the process we've gone through is, is when we, we, we sold this to the staff and said, this is what we're, we're looking at. How does this work for you? Is this a day that works for you to take off? One of those questions they raised was, well, what about my customer who I normally have on Fridays, who now I'm going to tell them I'm not available? So we worked on, okay, you need to approach your customer and say, look, I'm, I'm going to be off on Friday starting in six weeks' time. These are the days I'm going to be available. I'd love to continue our relationship. I understand if you can't get here on one of those days, but I will bend over backwards to find a time for you in order to get you in on the days I do work. And if they can't do that, then I'll ask the pros to to facilitate finding a pro they think would be great for them on that Friday, for example, because they can only play Friday at seven o'clock. And that's okay as long as the customer stays in tennis stays within the campus program, I'm fine with that. And we'll, we'll, we'll get you another lesson on the five days you work. But we didn't have any issues with that. Some customers did find a new pro, but I've joked with you before, it's, it's my, my wife was in the hairdressing business for 30 years. And when we had my, my, my daughter, she went down to a three-day work week from say four or five days and had those conversations. And you know, if, you're, if you're married to that relationship, and you need somebody to cut and color your hair, and they're the only ones who do it well, you will adapt and you will find in your personal life a way to get that rescheduled. And if you don't, then you'll move on to another pro or another hairdresser, for example. So I wasn't too worried about that, but it was a transition and, and, and we educated the customers, but we educated the staff on how to approach your customer. So really no ramifications at all from that. Well, it comes down that we're a relationship business and uh, you make that great relationship. You teach those great lessons. You inspire people to want to come back. It, the health, the experience, uh, it's far more than, you know, just uh, like I said, a forehand and a backhand. And uh, I think that shows you're a relationship leader, um, that attention to uh, the care and need of, of the employee is is showing by this move that you've made on the campus. and. I think it's an encouraging example. As you said, you're trying to be an example for the industry, and it's a, it's a super great example. I know you've shared about this at a couple different conferences, and we'll continue to, to do updates on it as we go. What's your next goal? Like, what are you, what are you looking for? What are the challenges? Are anything right in front of you that, you that you're hoping to get, you know, in the next phase of this or what you're seeing? I think really it's been a three-year project. I mean, we all managed through COVID, right? And, and, but while we were doing that, this was the long-term vision. This was my three- to five-year project was to, to address compensation, present a pathway, and to be able to, to work on this five-day work week. So I would say I've checked off my, my three goals that were right in front of me when I started. In addition to other goals, you know how it is. There's a page of goals, and one day when I, I'm all done, I'll have probably only achieved a third of them, but the, the list was long. I think just continuing to 
to build our reputation as as a leading provider or the the role model of what we should look like and be this center of excellence and be a, a a place where people come and leave and say wow that was an amazing experience what a great lesson just overall from the minute you walk in the door to when you leave what a great experience we had at the campus so working on that reputation and and putting the USTA on the map as a legitimate teaching provider they, they all go hand in hand but i think evolving our, our business too you know we we're in the business of tennis yes the company drives the US open but campus first floor operations is day-to-day tennis business and it's a huge business with the, the, the volume of people who come through the campus you know, you're talking quarter of a million people a year who walk through the doors and more than 2,000 people a week who come for lessons and programming that's to me like managing four or five tennis clubs at once so just continuing to evolve so that we're the best we can be and and what other programs can we do that are new innovative or or appeal to the country for a reason to come here. Now, I'll give you an example would be working with directors and, and, and pros around the country to say, bring groups of people down, come and immerse yourself in what we do for a few days. We'll train your, your, your people for a, a great three-day camp experience. You can stay at the local hotel, have an amazing time in Orlando. But then if you want to learn more about how to deliver 10 and under, you could work with our team in the family zone and you can experience Padel if you haven't done Padel before and just see how the campus operates. I think there's opportunities there to develop those relationships throughout the country. So things like that, that maybe I didn't do at a traditional club, are opportunities here, and that's what really excites me about the future. No, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's what we're trying to do with this podcast. We're just trying to create some powerful energy with these conversations around uh, leadership and building the business of rackets. And I'm excited that we've gotten started. We're gonna do some interviews in the future of some very influential people, some authors that can really help energize the business of rackets leadership. So this is Kim and this is Simon and you've been listening to Racket Fuel. That's all for today, but we're not out of fuel. You can find more information and resources in our show notes and by visiting RacketFuelPodcast.com. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and also leave a review, which helps other people join the mission to become stronger Rackets leaders. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.